0: God, we, um, we believe your presence is here, we believe your spirit is here, um, and in saying that, it, it, even for those of us who have been Christians for years, it challenges our thinking, because we believe that there is an invisible world, and the believe that your spirit is working in our souls right now, so, but, and we want to hear what you want to say to us, God, and we want to see what you want to show us. So would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Because we want to be the kind of people you said we could be, and that's full of the love and the life that come from you alone. We want to be those kind of people overflowing into the lives of those around us, bringing the freedom and the life and the love that comes from you alone, God. That's the kind of people we want to be, and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you have been to the eye doctor lately? Anybody, eye doctor, and you seen? Eric, uh, put that first. Yeah, put that chart up there. It doesn't. It's not one of these high charts that says something. Put the, put the letters together. So don't try to make a code out of this. Um, but I've been to the eye doctor a number of times. And I, you know, I have glasses. You're thinking, of course. But one of the frustrating, you know, and so when you sit there, you're if when you have if you have really good vision or if you have corrected vision, you're supposed to be able to read. You know, down to that smallest line, which. Uh, I don't know where you're sitting or what you can read, but I don't know what the smallest line you can read is and I don't have one of those things to cover one eye anyway, so we're not going to do that. But that's what it's supposed to look like, you know, and you sit in the chair and then you start realizing when they put your eyes up there, you're not reading it, and then the next one or the next one. This is what it looks like sometimes. And the last couple times I've been to the doctor, that's kind of what the eye chart looked like for me, even with my glasses on. And I'm kind of getting frustrated sitting in the chair. I'm like, I can't can't see that next line, and then, you know, you've, you've been, there, you start guessing, uh, L, Z, and then you try to remember what you said for the other eye, because you know it's the same chart, and then you kind of cheat, you've all done that, you cheat on the eye test, it doesn't help you at all, it doesn't make your eyes any better, but then what I was told was it's, they can't even correct mine any better than that, to some degree, it's not that bad, because I have cataracts, which is, and I'm only 54, I'm not that old, cataracts are cloudy things on your natural lenses, so I'm like, so what am I supposed to do to that? And they said, well, you have to get them out and put new ones in. I am like, I don't know if I want to do that. I haven't done it yet. But it's frustrating because it's supposed to work, right? It's supposed, I'm supposed to, I've got glasses, I'm only 54, I'm supposed to be able to see clearly, but I don't, I don't. And I remember sitting in the chair kind of getting frustrated and kind of like, come on, I this, why is this so hard? You know, why does it, and I'm saying that because I th- I wonder if you have, and I think I have the same emotion at times, same feelings, same thoughts when it comes to being a Christian or following Jesus or what Jesus is all about because we, we tend to think, well, I, I know all the right answers and, you know, Jesus and Bible and God and things like that, but if we're honest and if I'm honest, sometimes when I'm living my daily life and weekly life and family life and married life and financial life. Sometimes I just don't get it. I I don't always, I don't think I see Jesus as clearly as I, I know I don't see Jesus as clearly as I want to be, as I want to see him. And it's not like I'm stupid or ignorant, and some of you, like me, have been a Christian for decades. But yet there's times when it's like, okay, I don't get this. You know, forgiveness is hard, and financial generosity is hard. I I don't, shouldn't it be easier? Shouldn't it be like the very clear eye chart? Shouldn't Christianity just be, You get the right information in your head, and boom, you're a changed person, and life is beautiful, your marriage is beautiful, your kids behave, your financial, uh, your checking account is always full, you have no enemies, and if you do, you forgive with incredible generosity. Shouldn't it be that way? But the reality is it's not. And, And it's not because we don't have the right information in our heads about Jesus, but there's something else that God needs to do to open up our hearts to see some things. What we're going to do starting today, we're going to start a series called uh, Seeing Jesus. And it's just, its a we're going to go through the Gospels of Mark. Mark is the second of the New Testament. Yeah, second, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, second of the New Testament Gospels. And what, what motivated this series for me was, I really felt like God put it on my heart, but it was more, I I want to see a better, I want to see Jesus in a new way, in a fresh way. Not new, like different, make him. but I, I want fresh eyes on Jesus. And if you're like me, you've heard the stories of Jesus for a long time, and maybe if you've only been a Christian for a few years, or maybe if you're not even a Christian yet, you've heard some stories of Jesus, but if you're like me, it always, doesn't always make sense and, the, and the, the eye chart about Jesus isn't always clear and clean and easy. So I want to I still have fresh, eyes on jesus and i want us to be thinking about even friends of yours who aren't aren't even christians have no interest in religion i want you to be thinking about them what would it be if they had fresh eyes on jesus what if they had even eyes on jesus because we have this perception of what jesus is like but when you read the stories in the bible it's like oh this is a this is a unique guy i mean we're christians we're not we're not religious people we're christians who Jesus. So our it seems to be then our entire faith, our entire life, has to be based on how clearly we see and understand Jesus. So the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. And let me just give you a little background on this. John Mark would have been he didn't show up to the book of I mean his, didn't show up till the book of Acts, and he actually was a traveling companion of Peter when they did some missionary stuff. So John Mark, we don't know that he was an eyewitness of these events. He heard it all from Peter. He he traveled with Peter for years. So Jesus died around 33-ish A.D. We don't know exactly the date, but in the Gospel of Mark, which was mostly was the first of the four Gospels to be put in writing. At that point, it was verbal stories transferred on. And Mark was the first one in in around 65 A.D., so 35-ish years after Jesus had died and resurrected. Peter died. Peter was actually martyred. He was killed in Rome. And so the assumption must be then that John Mark was encouraged by people, you've got to write down the stories Peter told you. Because people need to know. You know, the eyewitnesses were dying off. And there were Christians who really believed, and they followed Jesus, but they're like, we, we, we want to understand clearly what Jesus was all about. So can you write this down? So John Mark writes this down. So he's writing down eyewitness accounts that he heard from Peter and probably other disciples that John Mark get, got to know. And he wrote this to Christians who were primarily in Rome, so they were Gentile Christians. They were not religious Christ- people, so to speak. They were, they were just trying to figure out what does it mean for us to follow Jesus And they were trying to figure that out in a context where life was not getting easier for them, it was getting harder. You got Nero, who was starting to kill Christians in Rome around that time, using them for human torches. The Christians were accused of being socially uh, distant from the rest of culture because they wouldn't participate in pagan rituals. They were accused of being anti-emperor and all kinds of weird stuff, and they were being misunderstood. Life wasn't easy for them. I think we can all relate to that. Maybe not the persecution or, you know, being burned as torches, but the whole feeling of life's not easy. And to some degree, we kind of think, well, if I'm, if I'm a Christian, shouldn't life be easy for me? And the answer is no. Jesus promised an easy yoke. He didn't promise an easy life, if I can say it that way. So John Mark's writing this down, and his, his, his audience are people who are wanting to understand more clearly who Jesus is. So he writes this and it's as an encouragement to people, and it's encouragement to us, because we're trying to figure out how do we get a clearer picture of Jesus. So let me just jump right into the first verse of the Gospel of Mark, all right? Here's how the Gospel of Mark, and I'll talk about that word gospel here in a second. Here's how it starts out. Here's the very opening line. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's all we're going to look at today from the Gospel of Mark. And you're probably thinking, oh, great, if we're going to be that slow, we'll be in Mark till 2019. But we're going to go a little bit you know, quicker than that. But today, I just want to look at this. Because right from the get-go, Mark is saying it is all about Jesus. It's not about Christian culture. It's not about Christian radio. It's not about the American flag. It's not about American politics. It's not simply about social justice. It's not simply about religious, moral behavior. It's about Jesus. It's about this man named Jesus, and not only a man, and he, and he unpacks it, good news. So, we're, you know, the, if the word is the gospel. So the word gospel is the same word we translate to mean good news, and it's the same word that we use to get the word evangelical. It's the same word that we all translate differently. So the gospel is the good news. Now, the Christians didn't coin that term. In those days, when a new when a new uh, uh, Caesar of Rome was born or, or put on the throne or whatever, it was, t- it was called the, good new- the gospel. Caesar is now in charge and he will lead us to glory. You know, joyful tidings. So gospel literally meant life-changing news. But it was used in the culture as the life-changing news is this historical event. Caesar is now on the throne and our lives will all get so much better. So the gospel initially meant it was this historical event that had life-changing implications. But now John Mark is taking that term and using it in a whole bigger way. He says, this is the life-changing news about Jesus. Not just life-changing in the political world, not just life-changing in your financial world, but this is life-changing news for you. Because this is Jesus. And then he uses other terms, the Messiah. So the Messiah literally meant the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, even though these Gentiles, they were not not Jews, they were were becoming familiar with the Old Testament. And the whole idea of the anointed one, every prophet, priest, and king, in Christian, in the Old Testament, but also even in the culture, people were anointed, you know, with oil or whatever. That meant they were enthroned. They were a prophet. They were a priest. They were a king. So it's like this guy... There's something unique about this guy, John Mark is saying from the get-go. And then he says he's the son of God. The son of God was a term clearly understood by the readers, not as a human being, but as a divine being. So right from the get-go, John Mark is painting a picture of Jesus that sets him apart from every, in those days, every God, every pagan God, every religious God, every ruler. He's saying this, what you do as Christians, what you are, those of you who are living in Rome and you're having hard times and Peter was just martyred and things are going, your life, what we're challenging you to live on, live about is the life-changing news about Jesus, the anointed one from God who himself is God. I mean, you stop right there and you look at other world religions today and right away Jesus is a way unique character. So when when people were to say, were to say um, I, was, I was talking with a friend of mine last week who's nominally uh, Muslim. His name's Muhammad, of course, um, but he's a good guy, good friend. And, and he said, well, we all, you know, we all worship God in our own way. And, and I, didn't, I wasn't in an argumentative mode with him, and I didn't want to argue with him, and so we were having a good conversation. But as I was thinking, I thought, no, but Jesus is unique. I mean, you have Islam, you have Hinduism, you have Judaism, you have other world religions, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. But where they all will differ from Christianity is they will not say this about Jesus. They will not say, this is life-changing news about this divine anointed one from God. They won't say that. So right away, Mark is separating. This religion from all the other religions of Rome and all the religions of Bloomington and all the religions of the United States. He's not saying we're better, we're great, we're awesome, but he's saying this is what it's about. And then the whole rest of the book of Mark is an unpacking of the life of Jesus. And then again, you may know some of the stories, and maybe if you're like me and you've heard these stories from growing up, or maybe you've heard stories just throughout the culture. Sometimes the stories start becoming like Charlie Brown's teacher, like wah 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 wah. Jesus did this wah wah wah, healed somebody wah wah wah. And after a while, it kind of it, it loses it; it's stale. I'm not saying Jesus is stale, but you, your ears kind of get used to hearing it. But you know, the book, the, the here's what's all included in the Book of Mark. It starts out, and we're going to look at this. Starts out one of the first things Jesus does is he casts out a demon. Oh wow, this is different. This is supernatural. Cast out a demon. Then he starts healing people that had leprosy and that couldn't walk and were blind. So right away it's like this is not just this religious figure. This guy has supernatural power. Well, then the next phase of the book starts going to these controversies. Because Jesus went head to head with with the religious leaders of the day called the Pharisees. He ticked them off. I mean, these are not, he did not go through the wilderness reading poetry. To people and giving people warm fuzzy feelings he went right against the religious establishment that was all about religion and not about life with God which is true today religious religion one of my favorite authors calls it the religious fog where we hide behind because Jesus is saying no this is what God is like so it's super all these supernatural things happen and then controversy happens and then you see some more supernatural things happen he heals more people he casts out more demons and, he, and then he tell, talks in these, he teaches in these things called parables, which are these. He tells a story about what God is like, but it's not clear. It's like a story that has a deeper meaning, and you're like, what? Jesus, why don't you just tell it straight? Jesus, why? It, can, it can feel confusing, but Jesus' intention was it not to confuse us? Well, then there's more controversy. He goes head to with the Pharisees again because now Jesus heads down to Jerusalem. More controversy. More time. More confrontation. He had no problem confronting the status quo, more healing, feeds 4,000 with a few loaves of bread and fish from Long John Silver's, there's a few things like, I mean, just some incredible supernatural things. So for those of you who, who have understood Jesus, rightly so as a very loving person, that's like small peace. That's like the core of who he is. And there's this supernatural power. Then there's this confrontation of religious status quo. Then there's controversy. He loves to kind of go head-to-head with things because he's wanting to see people set free like you and me. And then there's dramatic more healings and confrontation even with the spiritual power we call Satan. And then the book of Mark ends with the Last Supper and Jesus' betrayal and his arrest and his torture and his death. But then his resurrection so you can see if you're one of these Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago and you're trying to figure out if you want to keep sticking with this Christian thing or if you've got it right because maybe you think you got to hold of the wrong end of the stick and am I doing this? It's connected with those people because he's talking about controversy and conflict and supernatural power. And so they're, they're like, this is, this is what we thought Jesus was about. We just need to know for sure. But here's where I want to stop in Mark for a second because it's like I've said, I, I, and again, I've followed Jesus for over, f- I don't know, 45 years now. And sometimes Jesus can become kind of, like I said, Charlie Brown's teacher, blah, 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 or kind of rote or routine. And my hope for all of us, and I'm starting with me, I'm, and I'm thinking about you, your families you know that aren't Christians, how do we get a fresh look on Jesus? Because all the, all, the, all the information's there. I mean, if if all was about information, we would just read the Gospel of Mark every day for the next 100 days and we'd be all perfect, right? It's not just about information. Something else has to happen to us in order for this to have a life-changing effect on this so I can have a life-changing effect on my wife, my family, my neighbors, my enemies, strangers, orphans. Because if this doesn't wake up something here, then it's just kind of an academic exercise, and we might win the Bible category on Jeopardy if we ever get on the game show, but then who cares, right? So I'm going to go, as, the, as a frame for the Gospel of Mark, go to the next slide here, because this is the one th- I love this prayer, And this, this prayer of Paul is going to frame how we look at the book of Mark. Because one of the things Paul prays for, and Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus, um, and he says to the, the, the Christians there, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Because he's he's saying, you know, it's not, it's not just about having enlightened minds. I mean, we live in a university town, we're kind of children of the enlightenment. And it's not simply about becoming smart people and having enlightened minds about religion and God and how to be good people. Paul, who was a very educated follower of Jesus, who used to kill people who followed Jesus, had a supernatural conversion, Paul says to his good friends and the the people he loves in Ephesus, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. I want you to see something you're not seeing. And, and you're like, if you're like me, you're like sitting in the chair at the optical, the optician or the ophthalmologist's office. You're like, well, I, I can't see it. It's not, <laughs> I got cataracts. I can't see it. I can squint all you want, and I won't be able to see it. I can guess. But this is where what Paul's prayer is basically saying for you and me, is that we can only see this if the Spirit of God intervenes. Because, again, Christianity is a supernatural religion. It's not a moral religion. It's not a political religion. It's not an American religion, Republican or Democrat. It's not a do-good, be-good, social-justice kind of religion. It is a religion that finds its source in supernatural realities. So if we want the life of Jesus to change your life or my life, we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened. We need something outside of us to open up something inside of our beings. And that may sound kind of weird, mysterious, whatever. It's simply saying we need the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts. You know, and it's interesting because Jesus, even in the Gospels, when he's talking to people, he'll even talk to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And he'll say, you blind guides. You're the blind leading the blind. And they weren't blind. But he's referencing kind of this spiritual reality of you don't see it. And he wasn't saying you're dumb people. You're intellectually inferior. They were the intellectual giants of the day, and he's calling them, "You're blind." And they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Bible super well, but Jesus says, "You're blind," because they weren't open to the Holy Spirit's way of one open up. Because when the Holy Spirit gets involved in your life, it it shuffles the deck quite a bit. It, It messes. It challenges your comfort level so so Jesus and then in even in the new and te- the other place in the old testament Paul will talk about they're living in darkness. They don't see the truth. Well, he's not saying they're all sitting in dark rooms with their eyes closed. He's saying there's something in their spirit, in their soul that is not comprehending the truth of God. And again, it's not an intellectual low IQ test kind of thing. It's a, there's something that's not connecting and, and that something is the Holy Spirit's not giving that openness to them. Go to the next slide here. I am not an emoji user for the most part. But this week, a friend who's here at church today texted me and said, How could I pray for you? And I said, You know, my prayer lately is I, I want the eyes of my heart to be opened. So he texted back the eyeball emoji. The heart emoji. He did not do the sunshine emoji. I added that one. I love the word emoji. Don't you like that word emoji? Anyway. But I want the eyes of my heart to be enlightened. And you might think that's cheesy if you're not an emoji person. But you will remember, I I promise you. You will, won't you? (laughs) You might never remember anything else this morning. But the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. And that's what I want. I want the eyes of my heart to be enlightened. Because, it, again, it's not an intellectual exercise. It's an openness, submissive to God, God-whatever-you-want kind of exercise. It requires nothing of you and everything of you. Because you have to say, whatever you want, God. Whatever it takes to open up the eyes of my heart, because I want to understand what it means that Jesus loves me unconditionally. I want to understand that, what it means that Jesus forgives my sins, and I don't need to be wallowing in self-guilt anymore i want to understand what jesus means when he says we can forgive those who persecute us i want to understand when it means that he'll provide all of our needs and we don't need to worry about our financial life in in the sense that we worry about i want i don't get that i want to understand that jesus i want to be i want you and me that's what he's saying and so when paul's saying i pray the eyes of your heart might be enlightened that's what he's saying i want something i want to see something i haven't seen let me finish this verse in Ephesians because I want to just kind of go there. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Say that word with me. Hope. All right. want you to see hope. To which he has called you the riches of his glory and inheritance. Say inheritance. Inheritance. Inheritance is kind of the sense of provision. I, I have something. I have a heritage. I have things coming to me that someone gives to me that gives me Provision in life, not just financial things, and his, holy, his holy people, and his incomparably great power. Say power. This is this is the part of the prayer that I love with Paul. He's saying, "I'm praying that your heart will be enlightened, so you'll understand the great power for us to believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead." So Paul's prayer for his friends at Ephesus, who are not necessarily overly educated or over spiritual, I don't want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened because I want you to see there's a power available to you that's like comes from and is like the power that raised Christ from the dead. There is supernatural power available to you. We are supernatural beings and he's saying there's supernatural and I'm not just saying supernatural power to go move a mountain although the Bible says we could. I'm talking the supernatural power in the real simplistic way that maybe we r- wrestle with is the supernatural power to forgive somebody who's hurt you deeply. The supernatural power to be generous with your money even though the accounting doesn't make sense if you give that much away. The supernatural power that trusts God with the next few days even though all you see in front of you is obstacles. The supernatural power to be kind to someone who's not kind to you. The supernatural power to say no to those things that tempt you and tell you this is where you're going to find life but in the end, it leads you right down the pit of death. The supernatural power to say no to those things that tell you life's over here. Life's, that's the kind of power. If, if we could just have that power, we would transform this community. Because it's a supernatural. It's, n- it's, not, it's not willpower. I can use willpower to so much as say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to look at that website. I'm not going to take another drink. I'm not going to take another smoke with marijuana. What I can use willpower. But what Paul's saying is, no, there's a supernatural power that's not your power, but you have to be open to that coming inside of you. And if you have that kind of power to forgive and to be generous and to have integrity, you will, you will walk it toward a path of unusual joy and love and peace. You will be the kind of person Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll you'll be like a river of there'll be like a river of water exploding from you to people around you. And the Bible says later something about the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing none of us would write on, if he you, if you had said on a scale of 1 to 10, do you feel like your spiritual life is a bursting forth stream of water refreshing other people? Some of us might say 4 out of 10, but I can't imagine anybody here saying, I'm a 10. I got that river of water. So there's always more. There's always more. And so this, this promise that Paul's praying for, and again, Paul's not, it's not a religious prayer. It's a prayer for ordinary working people that he knew in Ephesus. I want your eyes to see some things you haven't seen before. So, go to the next slide, Aaron. So, back to this. Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, good news. So, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, and I'll just, as as an aside here, if you don't have a regular habit of reading the Bible, and you may have a habit now what you're doing, you may have a certain plan right now, I'll just encourage you, maybe for the next couple months, just read one chapter a day from the Gospel of Mark. If you miss a day, just pick up with the next, I mean, just, just read a chapter. And just as you re- open up the Gospel of Mark, ask Jesus to give you fresh eyes so you can see him. I'm not, you don't have to get on a plan, you don't have to report to it. There, I think there's 16 chapters in Mark. Maybe I'm wrong. I think there's 16. So, you know, read one. If you miss a couple of days, just read the next chapter. The next, whenever you pick it up again. But but, throw yourself into the stories of Jesus that Mark is recounting, from Peter the eyewitness who saw these things happen. Then I'm also going to encourage you. Go to this next slide here. This is where I'm going to f- I'm going to encourage you simply, and I, again, I don't know how many of you have a regular habit. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Regular habit of praying for people. I mean we all we all have you know wishful you know we always say our thoughts and prayers are with you, which sometimes mean I haven't prayed a second for you, but I'm going to tell you I have I mean, you know what I'm saying, but we all have we all we wish well for people and we think well of people, but this simple prayer right here, open the eyes of my heart you can you can say that when you're getting in your car going to work, Jesus open the eyes of my heart. you can say that when you're walking across campus. it takes you what five seconds jesus open the eyes of my heart today that's a pretty powerful prayer because you're asking for something supernatural to come in and change your life but let me add this though so i'm going to challenge you to pray this for yourself just when it comes to your mind this week when you're driving when you're taking a shower when you're laying awake at night jesus open the eyes of my heart for you let me add challenge i'm gonna challenge in three ways secondly pray this for people you love pray for your husband for your wife open the eyes of her heart. And it's not a condescending prayer. You're not saying he's he so blind. No, it's a, I need it too. So it's not a prayer of condescension. I mean, I'm not saying, oh, open the eyes of his heart so he will see that he's totally wrong in this argument. No, that's not it. Open the eyes of his heart, Jesus, so he'll see Jesus. He'll see you in a whole new way, in a powerful way. Pray for your kids that way. Again, that's, that's a seven-second prayer. Jesus, open the eyes of his heart. Open the eyes of your heart. Pray for your roommate that way. Pray for people you don't like that way. Enemies. Jesus, open the eyes of their heart. And not it's not a go get them. It's not a show them where they're wrong. It's simply saying, Jesus, show them yourself. Open the eyes of their heart. So pray that way for you as we look through the Gospel of Mark over the next few months. Pray that way for those you love, and for that matter, even those that are hard to love. But the third way, and I really want to encourage you on this, pray that for people you know that don't know Jesus. That you think, boy, them ever wanting to follow Jesus seems like a long shot. I mean, I was, the other morning I was thinking about one of our neighbors who, by his own admission, he calls himself a pagan. He doesn't know much about the Bible. And I just said, Jesus, open the eyes of his heart. My wife was just telling me the other day about a couple, couple women friends of hers who weren't Christians that she kind of was saying, I wish there was some way I could connect them to Jesus in the Bible. And it's like, well, open, Jesus, open the eyes of her heart. And does that mean you pray that and then you have to invite them to church? Does that mean you pray that and you have to throw a track on their front porch the next day? No. But if you're praying, Jesus, if I'm praying about my neighbor, Jesus, open the eyes of his heart. And I'm praying for him by name. Again, with that seven-second prayer, I need to be wide open to whatever God asks me to do in relationship to that guy over the next days, weeks, and months. There's no, I'm, I'm not giving you an agenda. I'm not saying, well, if you're going to pray that prayer, within five weeks you need to ask him to church or to your Bible study. You might because God tells you to. But if you're praying that and we believe that when God, when we pray, the Bible says God hears our prayer, he responds, if you're asking the God of the universe, if I'm asking him to open up my neighbor's heart, so he, the eyes of his heart, something is going to happen. It's not just wish. I'm going to throw up a wish, God, and I hope you catch the wish. But if you pray for yourself, for your family, and for n- people who don't know Jesus, open the eyes of our hearts. God's promises; he'll do something. That's supernatural. It may start with a small seed. It may not be that the person may not knock on your door the next day, hey, I'm ready to hear about Jesus. That may not happen that way. It might, but it may not. But you don't know that a small thing, you may plant a seed, someone else may water it, someone else may make sure it grows, and then Jesus becomes really clear to that person. So that's my prayer. That's my hope for these next few months is that this prayer, open the eyes of my heart, would frame how we look at Jesus, how you look at Jesus, how your friends look at Jesus, how your family looks at Jesus, how your neighbors and co-workers who don't know Jesus look at Jesus. Um, Again, it's a short, short, short prayer. So if you even read a chapter of Mark a day and prayed this short prayer for five people, including yourself, that may take you four minutes. I think you all have four minutes. I'm not saying that to guilt. I think we have that time. And there could be a pretty powerful impact if if God's people ask God to do those things because God says he'll always do what we ask. We're not responsible for the results. We're not responsible for the fruit. We're responsible to ask. It's God's business how he works in the lives of others. So, just out loud with me if you just say this with me out loud one time one two three open the eyes of my heart and now close your eyes now I want you to say it only loud enough for you to hear and and if if you're not sure you can say that with meaning and and that's okay if that's not where you are now i encourage you not to stay where you are now if you but if, if you can say that now, I'm what you said. Just loud enough, if you can hear. So if you're not going, if you can't say it, then nobody's going to know it's, you're not song. So open the eyes, of my heart. Just loud enough for you hear. One, two, three, go. Open the eyes, of my heart. So Jesus, the stories about you from the gospels are filled with physically blind eyes that you touched, and vision came to them. Right away. The stories about you from the Gospels of Jesus are filled with people who didn't see you through their eyes or their heart. They were blind. They didn't see you. They didn't get it. But yet you opened their eyes. And they became changed people. Whether it's Peter or Paul or John Mark, these people's lives were radically changed in life-changing ways that's the good news that John John Mark is telling us about in this gospel about you Jesus it's the life changing news about Jesus so Jesus would you change our lives in whatever pace you want to change it at your pace Jesus not our pace but your pace and would you open the eyes of our hearts would you open the eyes of our husbands and our wives hearts open the eyes of the hearts of our parents, of our children, of our neighbors? Would you open the eyes of the hearts of those who dislike us or misunderstand us? Would you open up the eyes of the hearts of every person in Bloomington who doesn't see you? And again, we don't say that in a condescending way. We say that in a way that comes from a place of hope inside of us for us the same way. We want to see you with the eyes of our heart. And understand the spiritual power you have for us, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus, Amen. We uh, we finish each Sunday at Exodus.